Good evening, folks. This is your host, Terry Farley in Dallas, Texas. Now calling to each one of you from the eye of the storm. The eye is at the very center of a hurricane. Regardless of how powerful the hurricane, the eye at the center is calm. God's word leads us to the eye, for the Lord encourages each of us to be still and know that he is God. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Thank you each and every one very much for joining me this evening. I really appreciate it. Welcome to all, especially our new listeners. Greetings from the eye of the storm. Tonight we continue our heading for Calm Harbor, our port of call, centered at the very eye of the storm. As we open this evening's chapter in Proverbs chapter 24, we reflect on the passage of time, recognizing that, including this chapter, we have eight chapters remaining thereby totaling 31 passages in completion. Though the ways of God are moreover described as mysterious, in fact, the Bible proclaims, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Romans 11.33 Yet as we open chapter 24, plain, clear warnings are given with no confusion. Those who would like, uh, please, you may join us now in your Bibles as we begin with Proverbs chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. That is chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them, for their heart studies to uh, destruction, their lips talk of mischief. Through wisdom is a house builded, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Verse 1 isolates the evil warning uh, not to be envious of them, nor to desire to be with them, this insight melds perfectly with the opening of chapter 1 of Psalms. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalms uh, 1 verses 1 through 4. So is revealed the path of the evil. They are prosperous in this world's goods, drawing us to walk with them seeking their counsel, seeing their temporal riches, we become envious, desiring to be with them, standing with them, then joining them in sitting. Their heart studies to destruction, verse 2 reveals, their lips uh, talking of mischief. Verse 3 instructs, a house is built through wisdom, and we know that fearing God is the beginning thereof. Understanding establishes the house. Verse 4 continues, the rooms are filled by knowledge with all precious and pleasant riches. Verses 5 through 8, a wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increases strength, for by wise counsel 
thou shalt make thy war, and in multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom is too high for a fool. He opens not his mouth in the gate. He that devises to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. Verse 5 declares a wise man is strong, emphasizing that, yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. Wisdom demands a full accounting of this truth. For example, conversely, those who are strong are more vulnerable to the seductions of a harlot, per chapter 7 of Proverbs. For she has cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 26 and 27. The scrupulous need observe the mention of hell as a reality. Wisdom's necessity reveals in verse 6, showing wise counsel to make war, and the multitude of counselors provide safety. Fools cannot obtain to wisdom. Verse 7 obliges, keeping him from opening his mouth in the face of authority. Verse 8 informs that he who devises to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. Unlettered folks will pronounce the word mischievous because the spelling includes two vowels, I and E, together. But the correct pronunciation can reveal a person's education. Verses uh, 9 through 12, the thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and those that are ready to be slain. If thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keeps your soul, does he not know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? Verse 9 returns us to chapter 23, verses 6 and 7. Eat thou not the bread of him that has an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. For he, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, says he, but his heart is not with thee. The psalmist inquires, how then can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed unto thy word. Which relates to one of our favorites, um, lean not to thine own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and he shall direct thy paths. Verses 10 through 12. Inform that fainting in the day of adversity reveals your strength is small. Under the guise of discretion, should one forbear to deliver those drawn to death, ready to be slain, claiming, I didn't know. God considers your claim. He shall render to every man according to his works. Verses 13 through 16. <clears throat> My son, eat thou honey because it is good, and the honeycomb, which is sweet to thy taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul. When thou hast found it, then there shall be a reward, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. Lay not wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Spoil not his resting place. For a just man falls seven times and rises again. 
but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Verses 13 and 14 conjoin to present a lucid example of illustrative thought. Encouragement is made to eat honey because it is good, as likewise is the honeycomb, both sweet to the taste. Then comparing that sweetness discovered shall be like unto knowledge of wisdom to our very souls, upon which discovering rewards shall be won one being your expectations shall be fulfilled. Verses 15 and 16 couplet the warning, the wicked not to lay weight against the righteous, to spoil his resting place. For a just man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked falls into mischief. Verses 17 through 20. <clears throat> In verses 17 and 18, Join, they join to advise the righteous not to rejoice. Uh, when your enemy falls, not to even allow your heart to be glad when he stumbles, unless the Lord sees your rejoicing and it displeases him, and he turns his wrath away. Verses 19 and 20 guide the righteous not to fret yourself because of evil men, nor to be envious at the wicked, for there shall be no reward to the evil man. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. Interestingly, Solomon's father David struggled with this very issue in Psalm 10. In fact, listing a host of issues that are then answered through Solomon's Proverbs. God succinctly inspires Solomon to close the issues here, declaring the candle of the wicked shall be put out. Enough said, huh? Proverbs 21 and 22, My son, fear thou the Lord and the king, and meddle not with them that are given to change, for their calamity shall rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin of them both. These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. He that saith unto the wicked, Thou art righteous. Him shall the people curse. Nations shall abhor them. In verses 21 and 22, Solomon instructs his son to fear the Lord, again, the very beginning of wisdom, then also including the king, contrasting respect for them for warning against meddling with those given to change, unstable in their ways, calamities unto them shall rise suddenly, bringing ruin of who knows what to fall upon them. Concerning judgment, in verses 23 and 24, to the wise belongs discernment, not respecting persons in judgment, as displayed by the wicked, who contrarily declare to the wicked, thou art righteous. Him shall the people curse, <clears throat> nations shall abhor him. Verses 25 through 28, but to them that rebuke him shall be delight, and a good blessing shall come upon him. Every man shall kiss his lips that gives a right answer. Prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field and afterwards build thine house. Be not a witness against thy neighbor without cause and deceive not with thy lips. Say not, I will do so to him as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. But to them that rebuke him, verse 25 continues, rebuking those who declare the wicked righteous, to him shall be delight and blessing. 
In fact, verse 26 expounds that every man shall kiss his lips that gives a right answer. Verse 27 directs you to prepare your work without, to go out into the world to prepare your work, making it fit for yourself in the field, then afterwards to build your house. Verse 28 warns against witnessing against your neighbor without cause and not deceiving with your lips. The further example is given in verse 29 against revenge, declaring, say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Verse 30, verses 30 through 34. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that travels, and thy want as an armed man. These final five verses of Proverbs chapter 24 present the picture of a slothful man, a lazy man. Without question, this passage is a terrific encouragement to anyone seeking some prodding to get things going in their own life. However, acknowledging the horrors of our present age, we can still muster some guidelines to ordering our own personal lives and conversations aright. Key observances are noted in verses 30 and 31, a man going by the field of a slothful man, a lazy person, in this case, an unobservant vineyard keeper, and lo, they see the field overgrown with nettles and thorns. The stone wall guarding the field is even broken down. Verses 32 and 34 expound the conclusions of the observer, words fit for the time and occasion. His considerations were understandable as he looked upon the lack of keeping of this farm. Yet a little sleep, he declared, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall poverty come upon you as one who travels, and your want and need as an armed man. No arguments here as far as the day and time were being considered. Even today, the advice to applying oneself is agreeable. Yet the conditions of the world over two millennia later can allow one to comparing the ancient situation with the chaos of the world in which we live today, making the conclusions extremely relevant to accept, even if one lives in such a blessed country as the United States of America, lets one mirror the world of today. Chaos is sweeping the world, even flowing into America, the land of the free, the home of the brave. There are plenty of beautiful farms and ranches throughout the United States. Still, even as I type, if you don't believe me, ask the Chinese who are sending spy balloons over our country, which are reluctantly being shot down by our confused and inept government. Those with orderly ranches along the once southern borderline of America are finding themselves discovering dead bodies on their lands from the hordes of illegal aliens coursing into our country. And we're supposed to be the last best hope of this world. We're finding far more invading aliens flooding into America than even have been flowing into Europe, 
though Europe has begun to stand against the onslaught of those fleeing countless failing governments abroad. Were that the worst of it, it would be enough to question the observations of the wise Solomon and his Proverbs. But flashing on the American news daily, though mostly ignored by the uber media, are growing disasters of magnitude, dwarfing Las Vegas, destroying whole communities with nary a look-see from the authorities in any upper tier of society you choose to suggest, whether it be government or corporate. Perhaps then we discover Solomon's message is not merely a warning to the individual, but prophetically warning the day and age and world we are now striving to, to traverse through as we watch God's prophetic warnings begin to play out. God's time clock running its course, God's calendar turning to the last page. Let's peruse those final verses of chapter 24 just once more. And as we do, let's impose a larger schematic onto the warning. Not just one lazy farmer, but a country, nay, even a world, devouring itself through greed, implementing the poor of the earth to destroy themselves, while those directly above them are being destroyed as the lies of temporal vanishing riches suffocate those at the top who lust to control this temporal world, even as they destroy it and themselves. This is the gathering storm around us this evening. Yet we are safely in the hand of God, within the very eye of the storm, awaiting patiently, as with Paul's direction, Jesus' imminent preemptive shout before the chaos ignites totally. How long will this go on? Let's partake of just a few verses from Revelation 18, when God's word prophesies the end of this one world government as Jesus prepares to return with his raptured bride to save Israel at that moment in the battle for its life, still holding half of Jerusalem. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not her plagues. For her sin sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works, in the cup which she has filled, full to her double. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Revelation chapter 18, verses 3 through 6 and verse 8. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that travails and travels, and thy want as an armed man. Next week, the Lord willing, Proverbs chapter 25. And now turning to our Padashah for this evening, Padashah Shalek Leka, send for yourself. God's hidden encouragement to his adopt to follow him. Numbers 13, 1 through 15, 41. God commands Moses to send men to spy out the land. In 13, 16, uh, Moses makes a name change, calling Oshe, the son of Nun, Yehoshua, uh, pronounced Yehoshua, or as we know him, Joshua. 
In the Hebrew, to make the name change, all Moses needed to do was to append the yoke to O'Shea to formulate the name Yehoshua. The reader is immediately reminded by this use of the yoke of Jesus' admonition in Matthew 5.18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle, one yoke, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. But looking at numbers, that was then, and this is now. Also, Jesus' adat, his congregation, his church, go forward from here. In John 10, 9, Jesus gave this instruction. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus promises complete and total guidance and provision. Yet even so, what difference could one small yote have made to this sortie of the 12 spies? Consider the name change more closely. Oshe, this name means deliverer. Yehoshua, this name means Jehovah saved. That's right, Jehovah saved. It's in the past tense. God provided his own fait accompli, his own accomplished fact before Israel entered the promised land, before the spies had even left for their journey. Shalak Leka. Shabbat Shalom. For continuing comfort, please Google T.L. Farley Books. That's T.L. Farley Books. You can Google that and find my three books and so forth. As we look at all of the chaos in the world, uh, our prayers go out to those in Ohio, to those in, in uh, Michigan, to those in Arizona who have received directly this week uh, terrible disasters uh, and total complete incompetence in response from the government and from the corporations. The corporations not even having the guts to face the people of the town in Ohio. Uh, canceling at the last minute. I mean, you know, it, it just, you know, you, you think that the people there, they have this big yellow stripe running down the middle of their backs, uh, and they think it's uh, something cute, probably. I don't know. I'm, I, I apologize for, for being so rough and mean. Um, but, folks, it's terrible what's going on. And uh, these things, you know, when you have two train wrecks uh, within a week or so, uh, you know, does that sound like somebody's planning something? You know, I'm not talking about a conspiracy. I'm talking about the fulfillment of prophecy because prophecy describes uh, in Revelation, you can look to chapter six of Revelation if you want to see the incredible, horrible destruction that is going to come upon this earth at the hands of the people that are in the quote-unquote one-world government uh, run by a, a maniac man possessed of Satan himself. Uh, this is all in the Bible, folks. I wish I had time, and maybe if the Lord is willing, then we'll go forward and we'll study those things. But the book of Revelation is not there for the purpose of um, scaring everybody to death. And to prove that, all you have to do is to go back to Revelation chapter 22, the final 
chapter, the last chapter. It's in the last chapter which Jesus speaks his final words to his believers and to the world. Three times he says, he repeats himself. Three times he says, behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Now, why would Jesus, at the end of the book of Revelation, when all of these things have happened in the last chapters, uh, the enemy is destroyed, uh, God remakes the world, we live through here for a thousand years, and then after that, he creates a new heaven and a new earth. It's just beautiful. Everything is excellent. Everything's wonderful. He does all of this. And then he comes back to reality of time as it is in the moment that you are breathing and living. And he says, behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Because Jesus is going to shout before the horrible things begin to happen, before the Antichrist shows up puts his pants on whatever <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> you got to remember i'm an old christian and there are a lot of things i don't take seriously and a lot of things i do but before that starts jesus is going to take he has promised to take his believers his church his adat out of this world before that happens in a moment in the twinkling of an eye on a day that must be called today. Why do I say that? Because you have to understand what the scriptures are saying, not me. I'm talking about the scriptures. That's what my book, Blast Off Repeat War, is all about. And it's got a whole ton of verses and everything else. But it helps you to understand that position, that it's going to be in a moment, in an atomic moment, inside the twinkling of an eye that has been scientifically deduced by scientists, <laughs> twinkling of an eye is 11 one hundredths of a second. And within that are more atoms than we can count because it's the smallest particle in the universe. I don't know which atom Jesus is going to land on when he shouts. But at some point on one of those atoms, Jesus is going to shout. And he's going to descend to the heavens. And then we are going to be changed in a moment into eternal bodies, totally new. I'm going to have hair and everything. And, and we're going up and we're going to be with Jesus. And it says, I believe, and I'll give that to you later, but it's going to happen at, at the very moment when the destruction begins. So we're going to escape by the skin of our teeth, but it's going to be glorious. Join us. Everyone's invited. There's plenty of room. Call on Jesus. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said that man went to his house justified. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I say Shabbat Shalom. And that's the wrap for this evening, folks. May we all join together in prayer that each of us has a good night. And the Lord willing, until we meet next time, or until Jesus shouts and we meet in the air or at supper. Here's bidding you all, each and every one, 
the very best Jesus has to offer you. From the eye of the storm, this is your host, Terry Farley, bidding you a good evening.